to the sleeper and the bust this is episode number 182 i am your host nicholas minix joining me directly from the mlb gm uh, excuse me well the mlb winter meetings in san diego that is in california eno saris eno how are you today oh uh, a little bit broken <laughs> you are broken uh yes. is it because you're running around a lot um drinking Oh, <laughs> I was trying to think of a better way to put that. You know, yeah, actually, I know a better way of putting it. Networking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been networking a lot. That is, and that it's is tiring. That is one of the best industry euphemisms you could come up with. I, think. <laughs> <clears throat> I am broken, perhaps for a different reason. And uh, th- before we get into uh, get into it, this, will be a heavily news filled the sleeper and the bust because it is that time of year. Uh, and it is no uh, baseball is a year round sport now as well, and a lot is going on. And I am broken and saddened, and perhaps almost done with baseball forever, just because Jimmy Rollins uh, appears to be moving to the Dodgers. I don't uh, have yet see confirmation that this is a done deal, but we'll, I think we'll just start there because uh, if I get the sadness out of the way, maybe I'll um, want to talk about some other stuff. Or if not, you may have to lead <laughs> lead the lead the way. And, and, Rollins, of course, not necessarily the best fantasy player, but always a player who's been near and dear to my heart, my favorite player for the last decade plus. So um, quite sad for me uh, as a big Phillies fan. And uh, But fantasy-wise, this um, – I mean, it's really not going to have a – I guess it will have an impact in terms of you know Rollins' power output. I mean, he'll be moving to a team that plays in stadiums with uh, lesser, park, uh, lesser park factors, uh, but – Still shows the capability. I mean, speed doesn't age well. Still capable of stealing 20 to 25 bases. He has a shortstop and can still play at above average defensively. Uh, and clearly the Dodgers are making a commitment to him to be their guy for a couple of years at that position. So there's really no reason to think that he can't continue to be that kind of mid-range to low-end shortstop for fantasy owners, I would think. Yes? Um, yeah, I'm trying to decide that myself right now. It looks like... He has uh, more power uh, from the left side, mm-hmm. uh, and um, see the home run park factors for lefties, it's for a- Dodgers. It's it's actually neutral it's- or better, right? And uh, he's leaving, uh, so he's going from 109 to 104 for his good side power. I was going to say that um, you know I would definitely take the under um, on. Like la- he's not going to repeat last year, I don't think. Yeah. Um, just Steam- because he's what thirty six. Mm-hmm. Steamer, uh, Steamer seems fair at thirteen, but even there, I would, I would, <laughs> I'd kind of lean under. I mean, uh, here are his totals since two thousand eight: eleven, twenty one, eight, sixteen, twenty three, six, seventeen. I mean, it's pretty much all over the place since his power peak. Right. Um, I mean, he. He's just as likely to hit 11 or fewer as he hit as he is to hit 16 or more. Uh, just pretty much, almost exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, yeah, 13 sounds okay. The 237 number, you know, his his BABIP has been pretty down since his peak. Um, so you know, I guess they. I hate to always say, you know, ah, the projections are good. I guess what I would say is that there's, um, there's risk in the stolen bases and there's risk overall because it's with those projections, he's going to be like a, a 12 or, you know, like an 11, 12, 13 kind of shortstop. Yeah, that's, that's probably seems more fair than I should say. I should not have said mid-range. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're just like looking for a starting shortstop in a 12-team league, that's a little bit rough. Um, to depend on, you know, I think if I did do Jimmy Rollins next year, I would like to have another shortstop on my bench. Yeah. So I think a good combo might be Jimmy Rollins and one of the, uh, Seattle shortstops if they go somewhere else or, um, Jimmy Rollins. And if you can get Segura too, uh, or Bogarts, 
Uh, I think that would be a good way to sort of. I like that combo, like a Rollins and a and a, um, well, the, and the Segura more so. Yeah. Well, you know the the reason that Bogarts might be fun is that if you hit on both, you could actually have two starters possibly at True. third base and and short. True. Uh, whereas if you take Segura, you'd have to do a trade, and you know, trading with people sometimes sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most I, time I, sucks. Yeah. Don't necessarily draft a trade. I mean, that's never. Right. Doesn't work out. <laughs> I mean, I think I think I think what appeals to me about Rollins, besides the fact that I'm in love with him and would do Rollins before you would, I guess, <laughs> is that um, I think you meant that the other way too. I did uh, actually. Yeah, I didn't really. I didn't even mean to meet, leave that ambiguous. To be honest. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, the thing about it, I guess, basically, is that. I assume that even though it's not a great, I mean, it's a solid year from him um, and, and a surprising one to some degree uh, because, I mean, if you remember coming into this season, he was, I mean, he was sub $10 at least in mixed leagues, mixed leagues, maybe around the $5 area, I think, in mixed leagues and also kind of going in the final third of drafts. Like people definitely left him, you know, for dead basically. And um, I don't think that there's really a lot of reason to leave that attitude behind despite the bounce back. Like there's obviously, yeah, like you said, he's 36. I, you know, he does the, I mean, you, you talked with him about it in your interview with him earlier this season. He does the yoga thing and all that stuff. I mean, I think he's better prepared to handle age. And so that makes me a little more optimistic, but overall he's still not like the, the most, the healthiest kind of player. So, I mean, like he still has these occasional, uh, soft tissue things and stuff like that. So, um, at, even though he's you know over 600 plate appearances for four straight seasons, yeah, yeah, he he still kind of deals with that kind of thing, and it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot to aggravate something like that. So like there's that st- still that risk where like if it drives his price down to where he's still kind of a middle infield. I mean, it's, I guess it's he's kind of a hard player to gauge. Like there really shouldn't be. There's not an appropriate time to draft Jimmy Rollins at all times. Like you don't you don't ever draft him in value, and then after that, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm willing to settle right now. Yeah, kind you of know, a different, I mean, different case, I guess. With I mean, John Lester, I like John Lester. I think that I mean, I'm convinced. Last year and a half, outstanding pitcher. Um, not, I mean, he's not an elite. Like he's just short of top end fantasy ace. Like maybe maybe just short of top ten. But I mean, the move to the National League in addition. I mean, what what are your what is your feeling on this? I, you know, I, I basically just wrote that I thought that you know, um, the Arsenal at this state of his, in this stage of his career, um, he is about as mastered as he he is about as mastered as he can get. And at this point, it's a lot of fine tuning and things like that. Like it's age related uh, kind of regression. Like what. It, what is your feeling on Lester as far as uh, I mean, does the move to Chicago affect him a great deal? I don't see how it's a, a negative and uh, and just in general, what are your feelings on Lester? Um, I think there's something to be said for having uh, refound uh, an old uh, pitching mix or mechanics that he that he was missing for a couple of years. So. I'm willing to look past 2012 and 2013 a little bit uh, because when you look at like things like his cutter speed, um, his cutter velocity was harder in the bad years and, it's, and it was softer in the good years. Um, and if you kind of think about uh, the, the separation of speeds uh, on his pitches, the cutter looks better if it's softer. It gives him you know, a, a real slow curveball. It gives him a mid 80s uh, changeup. Uh, it gives him, uh, you know, a high 80s uh, cutter and a sort of low 90s uh, pitches. It gives him more separation. You know, there's some weird things though. Like he, you know, kind of stopped using his changeup last year, um, and it, you know, it's not one that has been, you know, bad for him. It's actually an above average changeup by results. Um, so I don't, I don't know why that happened. Uh, if it was a health related thing, if you, you know, sometimes pitchers stop throwing things because it hurts them. Um, it seems like the changeup is not really a pitch. That's like the least associated pitch with health issues, isn't it? Yeah. You know, supposedly the one that, that is the healthiest. So it, it's just a little bit weird also to, especially for a lefty to, 
uh, rely on two breaking balls. It always it always struck me as really not that good of a pitch, I guess. Like, and I thought that that's why he threw the curveball more often. Mm. Um, I mean, and that's just, uh, and maybe part of the reason that it's only been effective is because he really threw it. That's just, and I haven't looked at the pitch effects numbers, but that's kind of, and this is oh, just based see, on some things see, I read. No, that's a that's a very uh, difficult thing to talk about, and that's a, and I don't know how to work around that. That's because, you know, I'm trying to help people make, you know, we're trying to help make people help people make decisions about things in small samples. And there are often pitches that do look better in small samples. And so, yeah, you know, he's thrown 2000 changeups. So it seems like, you know, that's a lot, but compared to his 10,000 four seamers and his 6,000 cutters, it's not that much. And, you know, yeah, he's had 15, 16% whiffs, but maybe it wouldn't be the same if you threw it more. Uh, and if you try to look at it by shape, uh, it's, it's actually not that good of a changeup by shape. And that right. might be what you're talking about in terms of looking at it. It it it, it doesn't drop uh, much more. It almost doesn't drop at all more than the sinker. It basically looks like exactly like a sinker, uh, but is six miles an hour or slower. So that's not exactly uh, what you look for, for out of a changeup. So you yeah, know. I mean, like uh, this past season, 19% whiffs on the changeup, but he threw fewer than 100. I think like. And this is something, I mean, I guess this, there are a couple of observations I would make about like something like that is like first, um, like you said, I mean, like the larger, I mean, because also he throws like, I mean, there are sub 300 or sub 400 changeups in any given season um, that uh, we were talking also about different points in his career where, you know, your, his mechanics may be a little different too. So like, it's harder to, it's harder to make draw conclusions from 2000 changeups versus 10,000 four seamers mm -hmm. uh, and see a better evolution too. But like, I think and this, is, this is something I always meant to mention to you about like the pitch type peripherals and how you type pitches and stuff like, like as far as grouping them league average and above league average and below and all that stuff. This is like, this is like a great addition to pitching analysis in terms of the depth of a particular pitcher and, um, you know, kind of forecasting future, uh, reliability and things like that, or even growth and stuff like that. But like, do you think it's fair to say, like, is there a way to type a pitch in terms of just the quality of it and find like, you know, what, what's required in terms of velocity and break and things like that, as opposed to, because I think if you run into the potential issue of, um, dilution, I guess, if you rely simply on, well, this is what league average pitchers, this is like a league average rate as far as break. I mean, what if there are just a lot of bad changeups for, I mean, it doesn't, I think that there it's the likelihood of this happening is pretty rare in, in terms of the sample. Uh, but like a league average changeup one year could be really bad uh, in terms of whiffs or a changeup is not the best pitch to use by any means, but um, whiffs and ground balls and things like that. But like instead of or instead saying like, well, we need to see a changeup that's either 85 and breaks this way five inches and this way eight or um, it needs to be like 80 and you know, or, or, or I, said, I, I suppose you should talk more in terms of separation from fastball or things like that as opposed mm -hmm. to just a, a number, a, like well, a particular yeah. velocity. But in other, in other words, like and have like a, sli a sliding scale of well, if it's going to be this hard, it can it needs to break at least this much. And if we have, we, I mean, we have that for, for changeups. Uh, Harry okay. Papalidis did a really good piece about it. Okay. And he found that um, for changeups, um, you – if you want to, you can either throw the changeup for whiffs or you can throw it for grounders. And if you throw it for whiffs, um, you want the 10 mile an hour separation. Right. Um, so that's a good thing to look for. And if, um, and if you want uh, grounders, then it can be harder. And so then you almost want just a higher velocity changeup in general. Uh, you might think of, um, well, Felix Hernandez's changeup is just a weird one, but uh, you know there, there there are ways to throw a hard changeup and get grounders from it, um, and it will look a little bit more like a, a sinker maybe. Okay. Um, but um, in, in both cases, um, having tilt and fade on it is good. Uh, so the more uh, I think the difference between uh, the vertical movement on your fastball and the changeup, the more the bigger that is, the better it is. And the more it, it fades further than your uh, sinker, the better. And I think that's just, I think that's just uh, what, 
I think that makes sense intuitively too. You're like, okay, here comes a pitch. It looks like the sinker and it's six miles an hour slower and it's four inches further away than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, so if it was exactly the same as a sinker and six miles an hour fat slower, if you could just slow your hands, you'd be able to at least go the other way with it, you know? So I think more movement is always better. I, I definitely look, um, at the shape of things and try to look at, uh, at the shape of, of pitches as long side of it, you know, it, 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 with other ones, it's a little bit harder with curves, you know, there, there are a couple classifications. There's like the power curve. Uh, where the move looks a little bit more like a slider. Um, and then there's the big roundhouse curve where you get the sort of minus six, minus six, um, uh, the six minus six horizontal movement, vertical movement, right? Right. That's the, the classic 12 to six. That's the that, 12 to six, yeah. That's the Clay, the like. Clayton Kershaw curveball kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I like those curveballs, but uh, you can't say that just because you have six minus six that uh, it's going to be good. Right. That's, I think it's the classic sort of Shelby Miller questions. Like Shelby Miller has great movement on his curveball. It looks great when you watch it. It doesn't get great, good results right now. So pitching is really difficult and there's always, <laughs> you know, sequencing stuff. And maybe Shelby Miller needs to figure out some other things in order to make his curveball look better. And so maybe, maybe that's what Lester did. He just decided that, you know, fewer changeups would make his curve and, and cutter better. The, the curve and cutter are pretty different pitches. I mean, the, the cutter is, the curve has, you know, eight inches more drop than the cutter um, and, and four inches more, you know, move, uh, more, more vertical movement. The, the cutter is um, horizontal movement. So the cutter, that gives them something that sort of it move, lives in the horizontal sort of speed, you know, the cutter that's like kind of a frisbee type thing. And then you have the, the up down of the curveball. That's, that's, two very different kinds of movements plus uh for a lefty a 93 mile an hour four seam um is really good that's a mile and a half above uh average so you know even at 30 with that starting to go down he's he's going to be above average in velocity for at least two three more years uh he's moving to the national league um he's proven guy i mean i i i i don't think we're going to return to high threes or you know, high fours ERA again uh, in the National League. Mm. Yeah, I think just, uh, I mean, steamer projection, 328 ERA and a bunch of associated numbers. Uh, you look at that and you say, I mean, what, what, what is your, rea- I mean, I don't think that there's been a league adjustment to the steamer projection yet, so it's hard to say. It, I mean, it seems like I, I would definitely take under or better, I guess. Um, I think so. I think, I think so. It's... I think he's going to really enjoy uh, pitching to the pitcher. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I just I picture more more great things, and I think like he's a he's kind of a a, a bargain ace, I guess. I mean, he's not quite ace material, but there's some risk in the in the strikeout rate territory just because he's had bad years there. Yeah. Um, but because he's a ground ball guy with good command, I think um, the overall risk is lower. So. I think, you know, steamer minus a strikeout or two is kind of a floor type thing for him. You know, yeah. Three, you know, I think a bad season from Lester will probably be something like a three thirty ERA, three forty five ERA, and six strikeouts per nine. That's like literally that's that's what I think would be a bad season for him. So that seems like a pretty good acquisition. Yeah, for sure. Now Jeff Samarja also coming back to the Windy City. Well, well, not. Also, he is coming back to the Windy City. Lester is making his first t- stay there. But uh, Marja coming back, uh, staying in the American League. Um, obviously, there are the issues with the home run ball. And, and this is something I haven't uh, read it other than I saw your headline on it. But I was interested to read that. And that's something I will probably be reading tonight is uh, the fact that he's sort of, you know, why does he have this issue with giving up home runs? Is this how much of an issue do you see U.S. Cellular creating for Samarja? Potentially, yeah. I mean, he, he pitched in in Chicago, which you know, when the weather's bad, um, you know, in, in Wigley, when the weather's bad, it's probably just as bad as the cell. Um, and maybe that's a part of why he's had homer issues in the past. But um, I, I really tried to look at uh, the different pitches he's got. I mean, a lot of his problem comes with fastballs down the middle. Uh, that's where a lot of his homers have been, and that you know it's a little bit worse than league average in terms of, in that regard. I mean, he has a little bit of a harder of a, tr- a problem there. 
I don't know why, because it, his velocity is great. You know, at 94, 95 on the, on the fastball, he shouldn't be having these, these homer problems. So in some way, I think that um, the, maybe he, he had some control issues for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, you know, either every once in a while he gets into bad counts and, you know, he, gets, he, that he gives up homers, you know, based on that. Or um, that he doesn't have great command within the zone. Um, and that's why you kind of see a heat map where some of his balls go down the middle um, and some of his home runs come from pitches down the middle. Maybe he grooves pitches a little bit more than he should. Yeah, um, I was going to mention that, that maybe I don't really know how they come up with that. I guess it probably has something to do with the zone profile similar to like what you, you talked about. Um, and maybe is, but it's like, yeah, they keep track of this quote unquote grooved pitches. And maybe he's, I was interested to see if maybe he has a high number in that regard. What I don't know about uh, that stat is uh, what league average looks like. Right. Yeah. That's and that. Yeah. Goes I, along I did with look that. at that. I looked at that group pitch thing, and I was just I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still work in progress, as well, far as at least as far as what to do with it. Yeah. This this should tell me. Uh, you know. Let's let's try and look at it um, over time. See if anything's changed over time. At least you can set the pitcher's own baseline. Um. He grooved more pitches last year, it looks like, in general, um, than, uh, than he did the two years when he had worse home run issues. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I did, one thing I did find was that his cutter um, or slider, he, he, when I interviewed him, he only talked about a slider. So it's possible that he has sort of like a cutter and a slider that are kind of one pitch but two pitches, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, he hangs them sometimes, I think. You know, and you know, I don't think that anybody uh, thought. I mean, so maybe it's a case of it's just a pitch that he has difficulty commanding, but it's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily make it a negative weapon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's in terms of percentages, he's given up uh, more home runs on twice as many home runs as on the cutter as any other pitch. Yeah. So if if he does indeed have a cutter that's going around 93, um, you know, it looks and here's one that looks decent by by movement. I mean, it's definitely got, uh, you know, five to eight inches different difference in movement from its fastballs uh, horizontally. Uh, so that means, you know, he's it's it's a cut fastball that that moves differently, you know, mm-hmm. and um so he must uh, he must get around it. Maybe if maybe if he has a cutter and a slider, this is the kind of thing I have to ask him about. Because if maybe if he has a cutter and a slider, Zach Greinke once said that it's really hard to throw both. Yeah. Um, so maybe his cutter morphs into a slider, and a slider morphs into his cutter, and that's when he starts to get into trouble and he gives up homers. But there's something going on there with hanging sliders. The split finger is great. Um, he doesn't have great natural command, uh, but the fastball has a lot of velocity. I think there's some risk. Of, I don't know if it's now, but there's some risk at some point of a Lincecum-esque decline with him. That's a good point. I was just kind of thinking, like, not he didn't come to mind, but it was like this in a couple of years when velocity starts to become a problem. Yeah, because I don't think he actually has really good command, and I think you know once uh, hitters uh, are lay off more and and can do more with this fastball, you might see higher walk rates as he tries to kind of dance around the zone. But um, in the meantime, uh, I'm a little bit less bullish. I, in the past, I loved him. I bought him a couple times. I had a bunch of him last year, and I was happy with that season. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting for that to come back. And even if I, you know, like him a little bit better than Steamer, who just has him under a 4 ERA, a three nine one ERA, you know, I, I uh, don't like him a whole lot more. Okay. Now, uh Let's touch real briefly just on the on the rest of the pieces in this. I mean, Michael Anoa, I think that's how you say it, um, change of scenery deal. He's kind of, I mean, this is a prospect that's basically been stuck. Uh, for. I mean, he's 23 and has yet to play above advanced A-ball. Uh, part of this, I think, is health-related. but um, Yeah, I think he's going to run out of time and be like a Rule 5 guy. Yeah. Um, Marcus Simeon is a guy I know you've kind of liked a little bit in the past, and this is an interesting move to Oakland where um, they may help him kind of 
I've never liked the way Chicago has developed hitters, mostly because they don't seem to really know how to develop hitters. But um, you know, become a little more optimistic with Simeon's move to the to the A's because uh, he does have a little bit of that power uh, speed combo. Not a great deal of it, but interesting player still. Perhaps you yes, know, he would be a decent. Uh, if you're talking about a deeper league and you've got you know Rollins plus uh, Simeon, that's a pretty nice approach, I think, because. Mm-hmm. Um, with an 8.8% swinging strike rate, I think, and and the kind of strikeout rates he had in the minors, I, I really think he's not going to strike out 28% of the time again. I think, I'm not sure that, you know, Steamer has him in 18%. That might be a little bit um, generous. Yeah. yeah, but it's, considering he spent 330 plate appearances in the majors with a 28% strikeout rate. Uh, but I think, you know, if he can strike out like 22% of the time, I don't see uh, him needing to have a low BABIP. Uh, Steamer has him at a 273. Mm-hmm. So I think if he he could basically what I'm saying is I think it'll be composed differently than Steamer has it, but it'll look somewhat the same. You know, yeah. Like he'll strike out a little bit more, but his BABIP will be more normal. Uh, he has more uh, power upside. It's hard to see how that. You know, we don't know how that's going to play in Oakland. But um, if you look at this line, actually, though, a 241 uh, projected uh, batting average, 14 homers, and 10 stolen bases. Uh, probably going to be. I, you could even up the plate appearances. I think um, Oakland's just going to let him go, um, and, and just play all year. Mm-hmm. So, He's kind of their uh, new Alberto Colaspo, except probably better. Yeah, I mean, I I hope he can handle short. Um, it's not a definite. Yeah. Um, I've seen him play a little bit there in the fall league. It looked okay. Um, and they just had Lowry there, so they're okay with okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I guess uh, what I'm saying is that he would be a decent pairing with uh, Rollins because he has actually a similar skill set in that if Rollins went down, Simeon could give you a little power and a little speed mm-hmm. and a bad batting average. And if you built your team to want a little power and a little bit of speed and a bad batting average from short, uh, Simeon could step right in, I think. There's also, I would, I would, I mean, Simeon's probably even a better pick in an OBP league because there's the hope that he can provide like a league average OBP with the history of walk rates. Truth, so. truth. I mean, he really, he had really nice walk rates in the minor leagues. So. Yeah, and it's eight point two. It's not. I mean, in kind of a full debut is not bad. I mean, yeah. kind of. So he's. I mean, he's an interesting player, and I think that's it's a it's it's a positive move overall. Even though you say, "Wow, great hit," one of the best hitters parks to one of the worst. I mean, yeah. I, I don't look at that. It doesn't really matter. Um, and the rest I mean, of the- he's not like a he's not going to give you a lot of power anyway. So right. you can probably hit ten homers in a, in a, a lot of different parks. So right. uh, here's a, a, a fun thing. Um, I just talked to David Force, the AGM um, for the uh, athletics, and I can tell uh, I can give our listeners a little bit of a preview of what's going up on the site tomorrow uh, that will have some interesting fantasy impact. Um, he definitely uh, sounds like all these guys that they're acquiring in these deals, they're hoping that they can uh, either start in leagues in the big leagues next year or play in the big leagues next year. So all these guys instantly become the kind of prospects that you kind of want to look for in deeper prospect D leagues because you know that they have playing time coming. So a guy like Joey Wendell, um, is interesting because second base is waiting for him. Mm-hmm. He specifically said that Wendell would, he could be up by the All Star break next year, um, if not start the season. Simeon is going to they're going to press go on him, um, and then this guy uh, Ravello. Um, I would think he'd be the an exception to that. Well, no. uh, the the reason I bring him up in particular uh, is because they're going to try him at third base, ah, and. That uh, some people said that's out the door and he can't do it, but Han seemed to, uh, not Han, sorry, <laughs> Rick Han, uh, <laughs> uh, Force seemed to really uh, think that he can that he can do it, and that's they're going to give him all the chance. So yes, that means that, uh, maybe he won't necessarily play a ton this year, but it also ups his upside uh, because a guy with his kind of skill set, which is good uh, play, uh, play discipline, good contact rate, not great power. That's going to play a lot better at third base. Um, so I think Ravello uh, gets his stock improved by, uh, I'm probably butchering his name, by the way. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, it sounds right. It sounds right. <laughs> he gets, uh, he gets a, a boost uh, just because he might get a position change in his future. I think uh, it's it's a pretty good boost. The, you know, none of the prospects going to the A's are um, 
are really exciting people, but uh, there's a real opportunity there. Uh, and I, you know, in some of my deeper like prospecty dynasty type leagues, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. They're not, uh, they're not bad prospects either. They're. Yeah, I mean, obviously that you know the A's wanted them, so there's right. something going on there. Fegley uh, is. I want to get your opinion on Fegley because I'm not sure. I mean, he's old. <laughs> I mean, he's 26. Um, he really doesn't walk. Uh, he's, you know, done some good things and some really bad things in the majors. Yeah, um, I think I it's know. a. I think it's a slightly surprising uh, uh, acquisition for the A's because I mean. It's not surprising that they went after another catcher. They always it's like they always like to have three around the <laughs> roster. I mean and, and I yeah, even saying that joking, like I think I mean I think he could easily I mean he's a guy who will probably be in the roster. Jasso or Jaso or however you say it is not really an alternative to catch anymore. Um Oh, we talked about that too, actually. He said that uh they're gonna give him a chance, he wants to do it. Hmm. Uh interesting. He, he's a little bit uh more susceptible uh to he's more susceptible to um, to uh, more um, concussions in the fusion, but right. he's not necessarily. There was a distinction, and I'm I'm, I'm not comfortable uh, just giving right now because I I don't for, I forget how he said it. But yeah. there was a distinction where he's basically said something like along the lines of it's not more necessarily more dangerous, or he's not more likely to have a concussion, but he's more susceptible to it. Like if I don't know what that distinction means, but he said something like that. So, like basically, in general, not, they're they're willing to let him play. And my guess would be that it's, he's he's not any likelier to suffer. Like the the probability that you suffer a concussion is not any gra- greater. I mean, I, except for I would imagine that you play catcher. That's that's got to drive it up. But like, the more you suffer, the greater the impact of the concussion. That would be. That's I think yes, I think that's sort of what it is. But also. You know, he was saying that they were in the same place, the concussions or something. So uh, there's, there's some there's some risk here for Jay. So and you know, I like the guy a lot personally and like talking to him. And I I hope you know, I hope he makes the right, right decisions. Yeah, yeah. I hate to see him put uh, you know long term health at serious risk. So I hope he makes a good decision there. Um, yeah, we've talked. I mean, a number of players going to the A's. Uh, well, let's touch on Brandon Moss real quick, and then I, we, uh, I mean, since we have we talked about Wendell, uh, I mean, Fegley, well, just real quick, I mean, Fegley is a guy. I think he can hit. He can hit for a little bit. Of, like he might be able to. He he won't, He's going to be a bad OBP guy, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe he hits eventually. Hits for average. I mean, and that's just kind of that's purely with eye test. I mean, I think he's, but he is a type of guy who, to me, just looks like lost at the plate at times, and so I don't know. I mean. That might be a thing that comes about with tutelage at the major league level that he just never got. Uh, I don't. That's about the extent. Of, I don't. I don't really have a strong feel for Fegley, but that, I mean, it's who knows. He could also end up playing some first base and left field by the time the A's are done with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that's another thing we talked about, Han and I. Uh, we talked about vote, um, and some of the stuff won't actually show up because we talked a little bit afterwards, um, and we were just talking about sort of the state of the team, and uh, he he thought the vote. Uh, was a good catcher. You know, there, there was some question about that when he came over. He think that he thought that Vogt really dedicated himself and and became a good defensive catcher. So yeah, I think I, they're I think they're pretty happy with Vogt and Norris behind the plate. And mm-hmm. you know, they'll give Jaso a shot there. But I think in general, uh, they might see him as kind of floating around. Um, you know, Butler needs a, a platoon mate at first um, because they kind of said that Butler would play in the field against lefties for some reason. So. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe Jaso is the other other side of that first base platoon. You know that, but I don't really see a lot of opportunity for Fegley. And I think maybe what they did was uh, just trade for a guy with options um, that can come up with one, you know if one of those guys gets hurt. Right, that makes and sense. It's kind of Jaso insurance almost in a way. If Jaso can't be their third catcher, then Fegley's their third catcher, and he's going to spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Moss to Cleveland. I mean this. In general, I mean, I think we kind of like it. You've always liked Moss as a player, I think, somewhat. Um, it's a positive in terms of the park factor, at least the right field. Uh, but is there how much concern do you have about the hip injury and about, I guess, age? Um, I'm not too uh, concerned about hip. I got another uh, sort of preview. Uh, you guys got to read Jeff Zimmerman's piece coming up soon on the Hardball Times. He he looked into specific injuries 
um, for uh, for hitters and how he bucketed people and sort of here are the hitters that injured their arm, wrist, you know, you know, sort of things that you use to swing the bat injuries. <laughs> um, and here are their outcomes. And here are the leg injury guys. Um, and he, the leg injury guys did better um, going forward. So okay. uh, I think it makes sense. I mean, look at a look at what Moss did with a hurt hip. Right. Yeah. Um, so, well, but yeah, I think the remember though, also his numbers kind of deteriorated as the hit became worse. And there was right. pretty, a pretty good correlation with that. Like he was dynamite until August and then it just kind of all went downhill and that's when the pain was worse and he was also missing time. So I don't, I, I do agree. But then again, like I remember the first that I remember reading of the hip injury was in May. So there was clearly a period where, uh, he was at less than hundred percent and he was still capable. Yeah. Uh, right. So I, that gives me hope. Also, we know from Jeff Zimmerman. So I guess, uh, you know, I started with one. So now B, uh, Moss is, uh, is supposedly going to outperform his projections based on Zimmerman's work that in the past showed that players, players that were hurt and played through injury, were underprojected, especially in the power department going forward. Wow. And that makes, that makes sense because if you're playing through injury, you put up worse numbers and the projection system doesn't know why you put up worse numbers and just assumes that it's aging, which it kind of is, but you know, we'll put you in the same bucket as all aging. Whereas this is sort of injury related aging. Um, and if you can actually fix that thing, then you could, you could might return to a different aging curve. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes perfect. And you're not, you're not per se at real risk of re-injury, uh, that particular injury anyway. Um, I mean, I think it makes, it makes a lot of sense that you could say, I mean, 30 home runs is a legitimate possibility once again. I mean, there's a real reason to think. I think, uh, and I noticed too, I mean, like when I, when I uh, looked at him several weeks ago, uh, I mean, I think you could easily say that the, uh, the 11% or close to 12% walk rate was somewhat a byproduct of the fact that he was less productive uh, in other ways. And so I would, uh, I mean, I think 10% is probably somewhat optimistic, assuming that health doesn't play into the picture. But uh, overall, he's a pretty, he's a, he's an, uh, a decent OBP guy. What, did and, you say 10% increase in homers? No, 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 no. Just the walk rate, I'm saying, as far uh, as, yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as far as his OBP is concerned and, yeah, that, that is an interesting thing because he was trying not to swing at, at pitches up in the zone because he couldn't really hit them. And I don't know if it was – he said it wasn't hip-related in the interview that we did. He said it was more about the fact that he just can't – his swing doesn't make good contact up in the zone. Uh, so it may have been a conscious change at the same time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was, he never told me anything about his hip. So we had this whole interview about what he was trying to do at the plate. Um and, uh, but I think, uh, he could have a 20%, uh, increase in, in homers. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, the 28, now it says 28 on steamer. I don't know if that's been updated. Uh, I'll give him 30. Yeah. I'm going to give him, I'm going to take the over on that. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to do much better than a 249 average or 333 OBP, though, because no. they play him every day. He's going to go up against some lefties that are going to expose him a little bit. Um, even though he's been about league average to date uh, against lefties, league average is, is not fantasy league average. Uh, we say that all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, he'll be, uh, I think they'll play him every day, and it'll be to his, uh, his fantasy value detriment in a little bit. But still. You know, a 240 average of 30 homers, uh, it plays in the top 12 at first base. It's it's a nice outfielder. And the fact that he has uh, first base and outfield, uh, that gives you some flexibility. So I, I think it's uh, I think he's he's a decent buy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's a decent buy in most leagues. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it as well. Now, talking about power sources, this is Jung-Ho Kang. Really interesting. I mean... I don't, I don't remember much buzz that this guy was going to be a possible post, but uh, report is next week sometime he will, he's expected to be posted. This guy hit 39 home runs in the Korean – now, obviously uh, – and I was – I couldn't find like an equivalent or anything like that. A Clay Davenport, uh, I don't think he does Korea, uh, or at least I could not find it. Um, but certainly not the same. But now I'm just uh, – first of uh, – 
very interested to hear your thoughts. I mean, my reaction was playing purely amateur scout, um, kind of a big leg kick, but not something that he always uses. So I guess there's always potential to kind of look at him and say um, timing could be an issue. Uh, maybe he becomes susceptible to breaking pitches or something like that. But just a lot of it's like legit looking power, uh, very line drive-ish, not like big fly ball type guy. Uh, so necessarily, I mean, he hit 39 home runs and could be a 20 to 25 home run guy tops uh, kind of in the major leagues, um, which is not a bad thing, uh, especially in this day and age. But um, Well, here's here's a couple of things to get worried about. Um, first of all, he, he played uh, – his home park was the uh, – had the highest runs per game. Um, and uh, it, it, there was 196 home runs hit in that park. Um, and oh, actually 196 home runs hit by that team. So it could be talent. It could be the best team. But in any case, it looks like, um, oh, I'm talking about his team numbers. Anyway, the park. 289, uh, the, the league is 289, 365, 443. So the league has an 808 OPS as, ah. as average. Um, and he had an 885 OPS while he was there. So, so he's still slightly, he's basically slightly above league average. For, for, for Korea, which is, you know, then you would have to adjust it. Uh, it's not, you couldn't even say that he'd be a league average here or anything. So, right, right. Um, and then, you know, I talked to. It's uh, like the Arizona Fall League over there. Yeah, a little bit. And I talked to Dan Evans, who's not a Dan Evans. I talked to uh, Bobby Evans, who's the a- assistant GM for the for the Giants. And I said, you know, what like would could you be interested in a guy like um, could you be interested in a guy like like Jung Ho Kang? And he said, you know, without a track record, you know, the the with those numbers and just in general, we don't we that's like too much risk for us and. We're basically we're out. You know we mm-hmm. can't do that. Um, and then he also said he also quoted something which you, you mentioned I think which was that there's this big variance between uh, what scouts are saying about him. And some scouts have said that he has a, a rule five floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that would be pretty terrible. I remember sort of Hiroki Nakajima uh, who came over to play for the uh, for the Athletics and. I think he went back. I don't, I don't think he's even here anymore. So yeah, in general, uh, offense hasn't translated extremely well from Asia, with the exception of a couple of players. Right, um, and then, you know, I guess uh, even the ones who are, are are excited about him think he can hit like fifteen to twenty homers, um, and are, won't sort of commit to a batting average. So uh, if it's two forty with fifteen homers. Um, you know, Xander Bogarts hit 240 with 12 homers last year, and was the 17th best shortstop for the year. That's uh, part, and this, I think, uh, and there's speculation that he's really not a he wouldn't be a major league quality shortstop. He'd be uh, worried about his defense, either. right? That he might have to play third base, which is still not a bad place to end up. But you want a little more power. For, I mean, yeah, and that's that's it. I mean, it's just to basically you, you're going to have the kind of San Francisco Giants feel uh, or approach to him. Yeah, so um, any case, uh, it's a lot of risk. I myself have him in a 20-team, 28-keeper league, which, you know, it's a no-brainer kind of to keep him in that league, but it's also <laughs> I'm just staring at that, at that spot in my roster and just wondering if I should sell high. And there's something there. I, I, I look at that every day. I look at it every day, and I say, Okay, today I'm gonna sell high on this guy, and I'm gonna get, you know, some win now pieces, and that's gonna be great. And then the next day I'm like, well, my shortstops, uh, my my middle infielder right now is as Drupal Cabrera, who may not even stick at middle infield, and you know is kind of old. And do I really want to continue? If I got this new young shortstop, it would be worth even more later. So, I just put it's he's basically peak age at this point too. Yeah, he's Kang, 27. So. Yeah, he's 27. So it's it's hard to know. I mean, there's going to be a transition. I mean, there's there are there are there's a lot of there's a lot of unknown here. It's like the num- the numbers do look fantastic, uh, but to some degree, to be taken with it's almost like the the major league equivalencies will basically be halved for him. 
at least for uh, his most recent season in production. Yeah. Um, I think redraft leaguers uh, just stick that name. Although, you know, there's probably not a lot of redraft um, leaguers listening right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Save that uh, advice for a few months from now. <laughs> Dynasty yeah. leaguers, I guess I would say, uh, just cautious cautious approach I, don't 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 spend a lot if you don't have them on your roster don't spend a lot to get them it, there's there's enough risk there that um you could let somebody else have that risk yeah for sure now uh several times we we just missed the window last week uh just as the, we i remember you specifically said oh i just see some other news that happened nick Marcakis. it looks like he's going to atlanta we just missed the window to discuss that so we have a couple of things um what between Marcakis to Atlanta, the Miguel Montero trade, David Robertson uh, to the White Sox. Um, I know you, you also did an article on Robertson's ex- incredibly intriguing uh, arsenal, basically. Um, yeah, it's weird because he throws the ball down the middle you know, three or four times as often as Samarja. Samarja. <laughs> And he throws the ball down the middle at 91 and 92. Well, Samar just throwing it down the middle at 95, 96. It's like, which one of these would have the homer problem? Uh, and it ends up being, you know, Samarja. So, yeah, Robertson, I think, is very intriguing. Apparently, he, he releases the ball, you know, 13 to 14 inches closer to home plate than other pitchers. And that gives him about a two-mile-an-hour velocity boost uh, in terms of perceived sort of effective velocity. I call it that. Yeah, it's... it's, it's um... It's interesting. I read a uh, probably more so skimmed, but it was a, a quick read uh, a couple couple several years ago. It was a pitch, or I'm sorry, an article, an extensive article on kind of research being done into effective velocity because of release points. And these guys who you know have this extended release like reach, it's kind of. I mean, Koji Uehara had that uh, as well. He was kind of a, a the poster child, I think, for that article at the and time. Chris- Chris Young also is very tall, so yeah, he's just tall. Yeah, but if you look at some of these guys, <laughs> the shorter guys um, that are that jump off the mound, Tim Hudson. Um, I mean, not Tim Hudson, Tim Lincecum, for example. Yeah, um, I think what he's trying to do is is get that out of his small frame. He's trying to get closer to the to the mound uh, to the plate by sort of taking as long a stride as he can get and getting as much leverage as he can get out of that body. So yeah. I think it's definitely something that pitchers think about and it's something that, something that we should think about. So you can't consider, even though uh, David Robertson has below average velocity for a reliever, he, you, I would say he doesn't. He has is, either average or better. Is, is there a potential for something like Brooks? I mean, and I could be mistaken, but like, they typically kind of take everything from 55 feet and like, is there a way to kind of measure like, uh, what becomes difficult is that, uh, since it's radar technology, uh, I think what becomes difficult is that the ball and the hand look like one thing for a lot of, for a long time. Okay. Um, and there's no data point that I've seen in pitch effects that sort of talks about when, when the ball leaves the hand in terms of, uh, when those things become two different things. Now, maybe teams have access to that, and I think they do because TrackMan is a different kind of... Yes, uh, TrackMan is the, yeah, the technology. And TrackMan has, a, has a, for the AFL, it has um, a, like sort of a, a, a number for that, uh, for extension. And I bet you that has to do with sort of observed moment of ball leaving, uh, ball leaving the hand. Mm-hmm. In, in general, TrackMan does some things that are cool because they... They observe certain things that pitch effects. We've talked about, you know, this has been on our, our, on our list of things to talk about. Someone, Colin McHugh was, uh, was spotted because he has a, a high spin rate on his, on his curveball. And so I used, um, I used pitch effects to find other uh, people with high spin rates on their, on their fastballs and, um, you know, to try and do the same work that the Astros did. And um, somebody asked, what, what was, you know, talking about with TrackMan? And Basically, you know, uh, can you you know is this some can you estimate spin rate uh, or can you estimate I guess I guess the benefits of TrackMan without actually having TrackMan data I guess is probably a, another way to summarize. But basically, you know, can we can we find other pitchers this way? Is is the bottom line for fantasy owners? <laughs> yeah, and well, the, the the difference between TrackMan and uh, the difference between TrackMan and, and 
and PitchFX is this, try to explain it real quick, is that PitchFX uh, sort of calculates spin rate by looking at movement and rejiggering it backwards and saying, if it moved from here to here in this amount of time, then it must have spun like this. Okay. Whereas TrackMan is more observed. It like sees the spin and it can count the spin and it can tell you the spin from an observed angle. Okay. So, so anyway, that, that's something that was uh, coming up. And the, the, the names I found were Jared Cozart has a really nice curveball by spin rates, uh, Uranus Elias. Um, and then the name that might be most interesting is Miles Mikolas. Yes, um, I like him. If he ever gets a shot um, in the Angels or uh, Rangers. 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 Rangers rotation. I think he has a little bit of upside beyond sort of six strikeouts per nine. And yes, uh, the Rangers always seem to be looking for pitching. So that's a name to stash away, deep league kind of guy. Definitely, definitely. And before we get out of here, I mean, so uh, what's what's the sum lesson on Robertson? I mean, uh, good contract for the White Sox, and overall as a closer, you would still invest in. Um. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm I'm happy with him. I'm happy with him for a couple of years. I think that there will come a time when he's a little bit um, riskier because let's say he's 94 now. Uh, over the next three four years, uh, he is actually going to lose three to four miles an hour velocity if he follows regular uh, reliever aging curves. So it'll look like 88 on the gun, and people will say, "Well, no, he has extension." Well, then it'll be 90. You know, right. Even right. effectively. So, and if he's throwing ninety, even effectively ninety down the middle, I think some of those, you know, especially in that park, I think some of those are, he's going to have more homers. Yeah. Even so. even though the curveball is nice. Yep. So I mean, definitely a guy you can draft uh, with pretty much with confidence this year and maybe next year and after that, kind of watch out perhaps. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We have to also see what a full year in, in Chicago looks like. But if he, if he yeah. gets like. If he gets any sort of ding for that, I mean, he's he's a top three, four guy, and if he if he costs you know top six prices or something, then then he, then he's a value. Yeah, and it's it's not as if Yankee Stadium is a pitcher's paradise. Yeah, right. Days. So good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for this edition of the Sleeper bu- and the Bust. Uh, unfortunately, we do have to cut it short uh, because Eno is moving all around and making things happen and making deals for fan graphs with all these GMs and assistant GMs. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going upstairs to, to Billy Beans uh, to hear Billy Bean, what he has to say in, the, in a suite upstairs. So, Excellent. So the, it could be an educating yeah. – tell Brad Pitt I said hi, and I'm um, looking forward to hearing what you, what you glean from that uh, talk. Uh, this has been episode number 182. Eno, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thanks for listening. Yes, uh, and I am Nicholas Minix. Thank you very much for listening to The Sleeper and the Bust. Boom.